Aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. Hello, Reunion. Howdy, my fellow Texans. Howdy is how we say aloha in Texas. Do you know what we call Mexican food where I'm from? Yes, come on, we just call it food. My mom would say, are you hungry? Do you want breakfast? It wasn't, you know, anything fancy. All right, so Christian walks into a doctor's office. (laughs) And the doctor says, you look a little unhealthy. You need to take care of that. He says, are you doing anything? He says, yes, I've been walking. That's good. He said, yes, I've been walking with the Lord for about 20 years. And the doctor says to the Christian, no, I meant like exercise. Are you doing anything like that? He's like, yes, every Sunday I lift. I go to church and I lift his name on high. The doctor says to the Christian, I don't think you're getting it. And the Christian says to the doctor, says, well, the Bible says that God can defeat the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Hittites. He can defeat the Cellulites. And the doctor says to the Christian, he says, well, don't eat anything fatty. And the Christian says, well, you mean like pizza or spamusubi, anything like that? And he says, no, fatty, don't eat anything. And the Christian, in his closing remarks, this is all true story, by the way. (laughs) He says, the scriptures tell me to bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. So it's covered by the scriptures. Amen. And that's it. Anyway, good night, guys. I uh, hope you received something from that. I'm just being silly. I find sometimes that humor just really kind of softens the soil of our heart to receive the truth of the Word of God. And, you know, we, sh- we should have fun in church. Amen? Gosh, yeah. I love tonight. Tonight so far has been fantastic. Um, you know, I was thinking about this uh, as I was getting ready to come up. You know, when I travel... Uh, and lead worship or teach or speak somewhere, you know, I'm often looking for confirmations on what I'm going to be sharing, and it's very rare. I think this is probably the first time I've ever felt like that what I've experienced here was less of a confirmation of what I need to release as much as it is just a confirmation to you that you're already doing what I'm going to be talking about. And that is so, so refreshing. That you're already doing, I believe, uh, already stepping in and walking in what I'm going to be sharing about tonight. So thank you. Thank you, Pastor Sam, the leadership team for leading so well. I was so blessed by Kingdom Living and and Sam and and Leah and Rachel when they came to Austin, Texas, because I felt such a a kindredness, a a, a liked... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, just a, just this connection that just felt so like, man, these are my people. Like the worship here, the I got I was a uh, privileged to get some of the pre-service uh, prophetic ministry, and I was like, oh gosh, this is so good, this is so good. Listen, I travel, I've traveled quite a bit, and I've had the privilege of being around a lot of amazing ministers and um, speakers and worshipers, and this just is so good. 
you guys have it so good here. It's really, really astounding. Like, if the, if the weather wasn't enough to want to make someone leave Texas, the presence of God in this place is so attractive. Um, anyway, I'm just, I'm blown away. Well, I'm happy to be here. Uh, can I just share a little bit about JD? You guys can call me JD, it's fine. Uh, unless this was just like an exclusive kind of, it was. All right, call me J David or John D. Or John David, I love my name by the way. I love it, it's a good name. You know in the scriptures there's always a John next to a David. There is, think about it. You have King David and his best friend John. Jonathan, uh, you have uh, Jesus, who is the beloved or the David of the Father. He said, "This is my beloved." He said, "This is my David." And then you have the Apostle John, or the uh, John the Baptist. And then later you have John, the beloved, John the David. Isn't that crazy? There's always a John next to a David in Scripture. So I don't know what my parents were thinking um, when they named me that. But I receive it. Thank you, Mom and Dad. All right. Well, I'm going to share a little bit about myself. I'm going to share a little bit about the ministry, Heart of David, and what God's doing in the greater Austin area. And then I'm going to teach a little bit on the power of beholding. So I am the middle child of a Hispanic family. My, my father was career military. This is actually kind of a homecoming for me. I haven't been back here in 30 years, but I used to live on Oahu um, 30 years ago. I was, how old are you when you're in like fourth grade? Eight? I don't know. Can't remember. Nine, eight, nine. It was like 91 to 95 uh, when, I, when me and my family were here. My father was stationed here. Uh, it was his last kind of little run before he retired. He was teaching ROTC at the University of Hawaii. And I have honestly a lot of fond memories, and it was only in kind of connecting in the back room as I was getting prophesied over that I realized how significant the island uh, in Oahu is to my spiritual journey. So I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Like I said, I'm the middle child. Who else is a middle child? Yeah? You're probably all the brooding, like, creative loners like me. Did you ever feel that growing up? Like the older brother, or the, the oldest one always got to do everything, and the younger one kind of got to get away with everything, and you always just got the short end of the stick? That's how I felt. This is like turning into therapy right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so my father, uh, my family uh, was he living here on the islands, and we didn't grow up in church. I didn't come from a Christian home. I maybe remember going to church like two or three times growing up. I remember I was Joseph in a children's play. I was a pretty big deal. I crushed it. Um, but let me, let, me, let me actually kind of back up a little bit because when my father was stationed right before Hawaii, um, we were stationed in Cocoa Beach, Florida, and my parents befriended a Hawaiian couple, Native Hawaiians, um, who were pretty devout Catholics. And my parents grabbed me one day. I was maybe about six, I think, at that time, uh, and said, hey, uh, Frank and Rhoda are going to be your godparents. And I'm like, okay. You know, I had no idea what that meant or what that looked like. But I remember they sat me down and Frank and Rhoda gave me a blue leather King James Bible. 
I'm a six. <laughs> it basically was trying to like, I, I, I could barely read now. And it was even worse back then. Uh, but I, I uh, and then, you know, I felt like that was maybe the beginning. You know, uh, my parents, I think, invited um, Frank and Rhoda to be my godparents more out of just um, honor to like their friendship. I don't think my parents took it seriously as far as the, the, Christ, the spiritual significance of it. But I think Frank and Rhoda did. I really felt like they prayed for me. And I, I, you know, the fact that they gave me a Bible meant that they were trying to instill in me uh, and put me on a path. And fast forward, now we're, you know, my dad, had, you know, we got, we left from Florida. We're coming, you know, we, now we're here in Hawaii. And again, I, we didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, I didn't really have any external um, influences that would lead me to know or be affected by Christianity at all. You know, I just wasn't surrounded by any of that stuff. So, but I do remember this encounter. So I was maybe about seven or eight years old and I was walking home from the rec center alone, um, which was back in a time when you could do that. Yeah, and I had, didn't have a cell phone or anything. Can you imagine that now? Um, <clears throat> but I remember walking and I was by myself and I remember looking up at this big, beautiful sky and I remember just, just ve making a very innocent, unprovoked, unsolicited by any, like I said, by anything other than creation, uh, looking up, and I said, I know you're up there, God. I know you're up there. And this little eight-year-old boy, just looking up at the big, beautiful Hawaiian sky and just being in awe of what God created and just acknowledging that there was a creator. I said, I know you're up there. And I wouldn't, ha I didn't have, I wouldn't have language for what happened next until years later. But I felt the manifest presence of God come upon me. Uh, and I don't believe I was saved at that moment because I didn't confess, uh, you know, uh, or accept Jesus and confess sin and repent and, you know, give my allegiance to him. But I do feel like I was marked in that moment. I really felt marked, kind of set apart, I think. Um, <clears throat> fast forward, I'm, you know, we, we leave Oahu, we go back to Austin. And I got some friends in the neighborhood and say, hey, do you want to come with us to youth group? And I'm like, what's a youth group? You know? <laughs> and uh, it was just, a, you know, two dorky white kids from uh, San Dimas, California, leading worship. And, but I was so enthralled by the like, live music, you know? Uh, even then, I was like, oh, that's so cool. And, uh, and I remember getting introduced to Jesus properly and having a, a, an open vision in the, midst of, in the middle of worship that the Lord used to finally capture my heart. And I surrendered to God. And, and what was crazy is uh, I'm the only, I, at the time, I was the only one in my family. How many of you have, have ever felt like that? Like you're the only one in your family? Like this is the way I've, I've often described it. I felt like I'm the gray sheep in a family full of black sheep. You know, it was like, I'm the weird one for trying to be good, for trying not to curse or watch rated R movies. That's, listen, no, whatever. I know everyone's got different standards, but that's how like, like we can't even watch rated R movies. And my family was like, you're a weirdo, you know, stop, you know, <laughs> but I, I fell madly in love with Jesus. I fell so madly in love with him.
And then uh, I just, it started me on this journey of just completely devoting my life to him. And I picked up the guitar around the same time. Man, I am just going way back down memory lane. I, this is so great. So I'm, a, I'm probably in part a worship leader and a, and a musician because of Hawaii. I remember I was in, I believe it was fifth grade. And I got to remember the name of this elementary school because I had to go back there and see if that teacher's still there. But there was a, in elementary school, you know, they have like a general music class. You learn how to play the recorder and, you know, whatever. You just goof around. But I remember my music, the music teacher at the elementary school, he, he said, hey, you guys are dismissed to recess. But if you want, I brought my guitar in today. And I'm going to play some songs if you guys want to stick around. And I was like, I'm going to check this guy out. And I skipped recess. Can you imagine for like a, a five-year-old boy with all the wiggles? that says, nah, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna stick around and check out this guy. And he brought out his acoustic guitar and he started singing, well, back then, which were pop hits. They're considered classics <laughs> and oldies now. But uh, I remember vividly that he played a song, some of the, some, I'm gonna get, catch a witness, someone's gonna catch a witness in here. He started playing the song Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. <laughs> Would you know my name if I saw you in heaven? And he played that song, and I was just like, dude, this is awesome. Um, and that kind of planted the seed in, in my little, you know, my little five or fifth grade heart, a uh, little eight-year-old heart. And then, like I said, I get invited to this thing called youth group, and I see, oh, there's just two guys up there playing acoustic guitars. This is so cool. Man, it's live music. And so around the same time, I started... Um, getting introduced to Jesus, I also started getting introduced to the guitar. And Eric Clapton, obviously, because of that moment here on the islands, was a huge influence on my life musically. Uh, modeled a lot of what I do on the guitar after, after him um, because of that, that one guy, that one guy. And uh, anyway, so come to know the Lord, uh, you know, was in a Christian rock band you probably have never heard of called Doxadeo. Um, we were, we were awesome in our neighborhood. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but anyway, I'm trying to... I got, my, I got 41 years of life to try to condense into, like, a couple more minutes. Uh, long story short, met the Lord, was learning guitar around the same time. And he, here's just one cool thing I got to share about my story. Is I, I don't know if I was... I don't know if I was destined to be a worship leader or a singer or musician. I don't know. People might have some thoughts on that um, and may have some theology that supports that. I, I'm, I'm probably at this stage of my life probably more of a believer of God will use what you give him. God will use what you give him because music and ministry were never part of like my plan. And I was going to be a cop. I was. I, uh, I was going hard after, you know, uh, wanting to get into law enforcement. Like, I just, my dad served in the military. My uncle was a cop. It was just a lot about me that felt like, oh, man, I can do some justice. You know, I can protect people that I love and protect my community, serve. And uh, for any of those that are in the military or in the armed forces or in any sort of serving capacity of that in that way, thank you. We just honor you. Can we just give them a round of applause? Yeah. <clears throat> But I remember maybe being about 16 years old, I had a 
like really kind of long hair. It was cool. I was, and that was like several million tacos ago. Uh, I was definitely a lot more in shape back then. Now I'm like a bag of wet laundry. Uh, but I remember, I remember being in my garage and just, cause I would spend, you know, hours just playing and playing and practicing. And that, and you know, the first worship song I ever learned how to play, uh, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever by Delirious. You guys remember that one? Over the mountains and the seas, your river runs with love for me. And I will open up my heart and let the healer set me free. I could sing of your love forever. Oh, such a great one. You, you guys want to hear something funny? All right, this doesn't leave the room. But I was at a church service earlier today at, a, at another spot here in town. Uh, and they opened up with amazing love. Like this song from the 90s. And like I was in, instantly like zapped, like transported. I was like, whoa, that's a classic. That's an old banger, dude. <laughs> amazing love, how can it be? That you, my king, would die for me. Oh, dude, it took me back. Such a good song. Anyway, if I could just do 90s, early 2000s worship songs for the rest of my life, I think I'd be in heaven. Oh, they still got fire on them, man. They still got fire on them. What was I saying? I was talking about myself. So anyway, I lift, I, I remember being, uh, you know, learning I Could Sing of Your Love Forever and just really starting to, like, get this sense of, like, I'm feeling, like, something different when I do this opposed to Eric Clapton's songs and Santana and Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan. And um, I remember at one point, I just, after I, you know, had this radical salvation encounter and I remember lifting up my guitar to heaven. I said, God, you can have my life. You can have my music. And here's the thing, y'all, <clears throat> is that at 16, I was a young man, I had enough, like, mental faculties, I guess, to understand that, like, my toys and my Power Rangers, my Sega Genesis, like, <laughs> those things weren't mine. My room, my room, really wasn't my room. I didn't earn any of that stuff. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't sacrifice to, to get it. My parents got it for me, you know, all that stuff. And, and, but I, I just knew when I was talking to the Lord, I, I started just taking inventory of my life. It says, well, the only thing that are truly mine to give you, God, truly mine, is what I do with my life and this, in the music that I make. And I said, God, you can have that. You can have my life and you can have my music, God. And so, like I said, I don't know if I was destined to be a worship leader, but I think he looked down at a 16-year-old boy and says, if that's what you'll give me, that's what I'll use. If that's what you're willing to lay down on the altar and completely surrender, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take you up on that offer. So what's crazy is I, <laughs> at 16, I wrote a check to God. He didn't cash that check until I was 18. So... Fast forward a couple years, like I said, I was pursuing a career in the military or in, in the armed forces, not the armed forces, uh, in law enforcement, but the trajectory that I was taking was to, uh, to join the uh, reserves, army reserves. And so for those of you that are familiar, I went through a thing called MEPS. Yeah. yeah like it's like basically like a pre-screener, pre-screener for boot camp to make sure that you're not like a psycho. Um, or that you could like physically kind of like get through all of the stuff that you need to. Uh, and so I get through MEPS and I'm literally, guys, I'm sitting at the desk, you know, 18, 17, 18 year old kid 
Um, and the recruiter, you know, he's like slides over the contract to my side of the table. And, you know, he got, I got the pen in my hand, y'all. And he says, if you, when you sign this, like, that's it. You're in the military. And I had the pen in my hand. And it's the only time ever in my life to this day, I actually heard the audible voice of God. And the Lord said to me, he says, John David, if you do this, I'll bless you. I'll be with you. He says, but if you trust me, I have something different for you. And he never said what it was. But now looking back, I'm like, he, he, I feel like the Lord was like waving the check I wrote him at 16. He's saying, hey, you remember this check you wrote called You Could, you know, you could Have My Life in Music? I'm going to cash it in right now. And, I, and what's crazy is I put the pen down. I slid the contract over to the recruiter. And I said, I didn't tell him I heard God because I didn't want them to like put me in a straitjacket. Um, but essentially I said, hey, listen, I can't do this. And, man, he flipped out on me, dude. He was not happy with that decision. And, but you got you to gotta understand what kind of, like, level of sacrifice this was. Like, I had been working my entire high school career to get into law enforcement. We had these things called passports. Essentially, they were, like, mini degree plans. I was taking criminal justice technology. I was also uh, a police explorer. Do you guys have those here? Basically like a junior police officer. I would do ride-alongs. Uh, I would, you know, I had a uniform. I would go to the, our public fair and help with security. Like I was like seriously all about this. And in the, in the middle of that meeting to just trust the Lord and he says, if you trust me, I have something different for you. But he didn't tell me what it was. Like that level of like, okay, God, I do trust you. You, you are good, and, and, and I put the pen down, and I literally gave up my dream, my future, that whole path in this fork-in-the-road moment to go into something that was not defined. And I said, okay, God, I'll do that. I'll trust you. So I wrote him a check at 16. He, he cashed the check at 18, he didn't start spending the money until I was 24. <laughs> so I'm 18 now. I graduate, high, barely graduate high school. Good Lord. But hey, that's the that testimony. That's the power of Jesus. I'm the only one in my family to graduate with a high school diploma. Like, I, I know that might not seem like a big deal for some, but like the, the bar, like the, the expectations on JD's life was like, don't get someone pregnant. Uh, and try not to go to jail. If you can do those two things, that's like probably the best we could hope for you. <laughs> so there wasn't like a lot of expectation on my life to do anything great. Uh, and that's, that's not a commentary on my, on my parents. It's just, you know, they loved me. They, you know, obviously the military provided a way for my dad to pull my mom and my family out of a lot of poverty that some of my family still lives in. <clears throat> But, you know, there just wasn't a lot of, like, there wasn't a huge bar. And so for me to graduate high school and then go to college was a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Uh, so I graduate. Um, I, I started attending a church, a local church. And I remember, I remember going into this church. And there was worship going on. And I, I remember would be this, this overwhelming feeling would come on me. And I'd be like, Oh man, I love this. What is this? It's like that's that feeling that I had when I was eight years old. 
when I was in Hawaii, when I told God I know he's up there, and I didn't realize it was the presence of God. That I love, and I fell in love with it. Uh, immediately fell in love with the presence. It's like, oh man, I, I remember telling people like, in, in like how much I loved it. I was like, I kept telling people, it's like, I wish I could just bring a cot to church and just sleep in the building. Yeah. I just wish I could stay here all the time. And because you know, I didn't want to go back to where I was. And, you know, I had moved out when I was 18. I was trying to make it on my own. I, I was still living, I, I was still finishing high school when I moved out. Um, and it was very, very difficult. And I just remember, I just, I don't want to leave this place. I love the way this feels in here. And that turned in around uh, about, I started playing electric guitar in the youth band. Uh, then I ended up taking over as the youth worship leader. And around maybe when I was 23, 20, I think 24, uh, the church came to me as the previous worship leader had, was transitioning out and said, hey, we've recognized you've been pretty faithful serving in the youth group. You know, I would give up all of my vacation and pay time off from my regular job to go to camps and retreats and uh, as a volunteer and just served. I just love the presence of God. I love leading worship, love the youth. Um, and they said, hey, we've, we've been watching you and, and we want to, and at the time, I heard, was hearing from the Lord say, hey, John David, I want you to go to school for two years. And I was like, okay, God, you realize I barely graduated high school, right? And it's been like maybe four or five years since then. Uh, and he's like, and so I, but I get in this, and then at the same time, I was thinking, I wonder if people get paid to lead worship. That'd be cool. It'd be way better than like dominoes or, you know, all the other, laying carpet. I remember laying carpet for a couple, couple years. And then I was doing, I was a registrar in the emergency room, which was, dude, that's crazy. <laughs> People coming in with all kinds of, it's sad and, and, and exciting at the same time, and sometimes very, very funny. Uh, if we get to ever have a coffee together, I'll show you some very wacky stories that are not appropriate for broadcast. Um, but anyway, so I'm, I'm sitting there dreaming like, man, I, I, would, I wonder if people get paid to do this, like just sing to Jesus. And, you know, uh, and I felt like the Lord said, hey, why don't you go to school for two years? And then the church came to me and said, hey, we'd love to offer you a position on staff as the full-time worship leader. But here's the thing is that we want you to get your, your associate's degree in music. And I was like, what? That's awesome. That's exactly what I was thinking about. And then God told me he wanted me to go to school for two years. So it was like, it was beautiful. So the Lord created this pathway. Uh, that's when I said he started spending the money. He started actually like, all right, we're going we're gonna to do something with this kid's life. And so this was uh, at a church in Austin, Texas, that over the, I was there for about 15 years on staff for a little under 10 years. During that 10-year period of time, we made a radical shift from being more of a production-driven, seeker-sensitive um, kind of community into we're going full-on into kingdom culture. Uh, you know, signs, wonders, miracles, power, Holy Spirit, I mean, you name it, gold dust, feathers, cartwheels, <laughs> all of it. Uh, and we lost quite a few people. And I had to learn how to be a worship pastor in that season, I'm going from just leading youth to now leading an entire you know, community, pretty large community in worship and to value the presence as you know, the preeminent thing that we gather around. Um, so over a 10-year period, I got to, you know, all the guys that are famous now that you, if I named, you'd be like, oh, that's awesome. They were nobody back then, and we, you know, we were 
hey, you, we, but we recognize that you're having like a significant impact in the thing that we want and where we're going. Uh, so we would invite them to come and minister. And so part of that as the worship pastor, I would bring in their, you, you name whatever big ministry, you know, their worship leader who's also big would come in and, you know, we would be the band that would support them. And so I learned a lot from them and got uh, a lot of impartation from, from those people that we were running with back in the day. And then around 2015 is when I felt like the Lord said, all right, your season's done at that community. Um, and he led me into a crazy radical community called the Heart of David. As Sam was sharing, it's about uh, Rick Pino. We lovingly call him, you know, Jack Black, not the Holy Spirit. He's wild, dude. He's a wild man. I love that guy to death. I love that guy to death, though. Um, I thought I knew what worship was. Listen, I was a worship pastor for maybe on staff, like I said, for about 10 years. And then when I went to be a part of the Heart of David community, my understanding of, of what it means to host the presence of God uh, grew beyond, beyond, beyond my imagination. And so what was funny about that season was, you know, I had met Rick and, you know, had dinner with him and his wife. And, you know, this was while I was a worship pastor still at this other church. And he said, hey, John David, uh, you know, man, we'd love for you to be a, a guest speaker at our school, at Heart of David. And I was like, oh, that's really sweet, man. Yeah, I'd love to. And then, you know, we're trying to figure out a time to work that out. And in the interim time, when I felt like the Lord was telling me to transition from my, the, my responsibilities as a worship pastor of the church I was at, the Lord says, hey, you remember that school, Heart of David? And I was like, yes, Lord. He's like, yeah, I want you to quit being a worship pastor and go to the school, the school of worship. And I'm like, what? Lord, I've been like leading worship for like 15, almost 18 years at that point, uh, on staff, full-time worship leader. And, and the director of the school, the, the creator of the school, just invited me to be a speaker at the school and you want me to now go and be a student and he's like yeah I was like okay all right that that hurt that one hurt a little bit more uh but I I just I again I followed the Lord into it and it was such a crazy season of my life um with Heart of David over the last maybe eight eight years now running with them uh like I said I learned so much more about the true, true power of agreement with God in, in the place of prayer and worship. Um, and, oh man, how much time do I have left, Sam? Jeez Louise, I love this. Don't ever tell a preacher that. <laughs> oh, man. At some point, too, I got to tell about how we, how we met. I slid into his DMs. <clears throat> and uh, it's very cool. He loves Jordans, by the way, Jordan 1s. Just you guys need to know these important details about your pastor, especially when it comes around Christmas time or birthdays. Um, anyway, so I, I follow the Lord into the heart of David, and uh, you know, I go through the program as a student. Again, very humbling to be a, a pretty influential worship leader in my city and then leave my job as a worship pastor to go be a student. But one of the things the Lord spoke to me, hopefully this is a little nugget for you, is I felt like the Lord told me, he says, John David, what you're losing in title and position, I'm upgrading you in influence and authority. And I was like, 
influence and authority in your kingdom is way more important and powerful than title or position. Uh, so I was like, so that made it a little easier. But I, you know, that's still that part of our pride that likes to be known and recognized. So I went through the school as a student, and then eventually, um, oh man, I'll try to make this quick. They asked me to come on as the men's director, uh, and then the following semester, no men applied to the school. So I had no job. And I ran out of financial support. And my gallbladder exploded. So you can imagine, like, I'm, sit- I'm bedridden, thinking, God, what the... Yeah. What's up? <laughs> you have me leave my worship leader job to go to this school. Now I'm, I don't have a job. I don't have money. And I'm bedridden. And I'll tell you, there's been a few times I've really wanted to give up. That was probably one of them. One of the times I was like, felt so disillusioned, just deflated, you know? It's like, wow, like the rug has really been pulled out from underneath me. And as soon as I, I, I kind of shook myself off of that, you know, and I, I had, man, that's, again, just, just I'm going to try to enter, uh, put in some just like really good nuggets here. You, you got to have community, y'all. You got to have Christian mothers and fathers, probably more than anything. You need to have Christian, godly mothers and fathers in your life, and then also just a good community of, of brothers and sisters, friends, and family, because they pulled me out of it. They pulled me out of it, um, out of that kind of spiral. And then as soon as I was healthy enough to get up and kind of be mobile, I, I remember we would do these things called uh, Devo sets. Essentially, we'd worship for about four or five hours a day. And, uh, you know, as soon as I could, I would go to these Devo sets and just sit in, these, in, in the presence of God and worship for hours and hours every day. And here's the thing, y'all, is that I, I didn't have to be there. I didn't have a, I wasn't employed by them. I, I didn't, they, you know, that wasn't my job. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have any money and I was still in recovery, but I just knew I just needed to be in the presence. I just knew I did. I knew that that was the, that's just, I felt like that was the only thing keeping me tethered, tethered. Um, and so I would go and then Rick came by and said, hey, JD, we've been watching you and I'm sorry things worked out the way they did with the, the job we wanted to offer you and we're sorry about all the calamity that's kind of surrounded your life. He says, but the next semester coming up, we want to offer you the worship director position. This one we're going to have regardless if there's, you know, guys or girls don't show up, you know. Uh, so became the worship director. Uh, over the next couple of years, uh, I became the co-director and then the director of Heart of David. And then uh, just a, f- a year or two before COVID kind of struck, Rick came to me and said, hey, JD, you're kind of doing everything anyway. I'm traveling all the time, I'm trying to get worship coach off the ground. Um, would you be interested in just taking over the nonprofit? So not just directing and managing the day-to-day of the school, but actually owning it, letting it just be mine. And so, such a great man, I just honor him, because he raised something up uh, as a father in worship and, and released it to me as an inheritance, and it was so sweet. Uh, and then a year later, COVID happened, and <laughs> shut it all down. Uh, but I have to remind my community and my staff that, you know, Heart of David isn't the school. The school is just something Heart of David does. Heart of David really is just a community of believers that have shared vision and values that want to 
empower and release, or raise up and release a Davidic priesthood generation uh, that values the presence and hosts it unto societal transformation. Now that's the part of the heart of David journey that I think impacted me the, the most. Like I love worship, I love music, I love singing, um, and I love the presence of God. But if it's not unto changing the world, then it's just good in spike on the radar kind of encounter moments. But it should eventually lead to revival and reformation. Amen? Well, that was all the intro before my message. Is it okay, is it okay if I just dive into some of this stuff? This really is the core of, of John David uh, and the heart. It's funny, everyone that you know, says, is it the heart of John David? Uh, no, it's the heart of David, like King David in the Bible. Uh, um, but I'm just going gonna, gonna to talk to you a little bit today, and I'll, I'll try to keep it as brief as possible so we could all go out and get some sushi or something. Um, what's the thing to eat around here? Is it sushi? Spam musubi is the like, thing that I remember the most. I can't wait to get some. All right. Well, we're going we're gonna to make this legal, and we're actually going to talk about the scriptures. And uh, I'm going to share with you something that, for me, I, I've just, it's, been, it's been real revelatory, and it's been transforming, and uh, again, the, my understanding and position of, uh, of worship and what it means to be a believer, uh, in essence. And it's, it's the power of beholding. It's the title of my message. And I'm going to kind of start with, I'm going I'm to create a little roadmap for you, and then we're going we're gonna to kind of trace the trail and talk a little bit about uh, each step along the way. So what we want as believers... And what I believe is the, is, the, is the call, according to Scripture, is, is to transform the world that we live in, to be congruent with the kingdom of heaven. I was recently at this uh, event, and I had a, a friend of mine who is also uh, a preacher. He, he shared something that I thought was really cool, so I can't take credit for it, but I think it was a, a, a pretty sweet little you know, revelation. He says, if you, if you live for, if you live like the end is near, then you're going to live a different way than the kingdom is at hand. Right? If your whole position as a believer is the end is near, we got to get ready. We got to blah, 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 blah. We got to dangers coming. Calamity's always on the way. Like not that we should ever be negligent towards dangers or we should be aware of the signs of the times all those things but but that's a different attitude than it's a different the the end is near is a different attitude than the kingdom is at hand right and jesus preaches about the kingdom more than he does anything else the kingdom at hand doesn't doesn't deny that there are things going on around us that are not congruent with heaven but they actually say the kingdom has had hand, that needs to change, yeah. right? This person over here that the end is near is saying, that's unchangeable, and we just got to hold on until we're done, until the Lord rescues us, versus, nah, not on my watch. That's got to change because 
my God and my in his kingdom are superior to that. Right? So what we want as believers is reformation, ultimately, right? Where society is transformed and transfigured to be congruent with the kingdom of heaven, right? Where let's just dream really big. What if there were no more prisons on Oahu because people were just in such a right mind and walked in righteousness that they didn't commit crimes? Can you believe that big? Can you dream that big? Are there prisons in heaven? Right? You know, I'm just, let's think of another thing. What if there were, like, what if hospitals were emptied out because people were just getting supernaturally healed and delivered and, and break, you know, what, what if, um, you know, I, I, we could sit in here all day and dream about this stuff. But I'm, that's what I'm saying is like, it, it's not just we have great moments at church and then we go back to our regular lives and just try to survive. But that from the place of the presence of God, we actually go out and change the way that the world operates right that's reformation to reform the earth have you guys ever uh we'll talk about this a little bit later but i think reformation is the byproduct of revival right we we talk about this word revival in our uh charismatic kind of spirit-filled communities all the time and it may be semantics but I think when most people say revival, what they really mean is reformation, right? Because revival is when dead things come back to life, right? When believers are taken from being asleep to becoming awake, right? So it's not the earth that needs revival. It's the church that needs revival. The church needs to be awakened to its potential and its calling, its power, its destiny, and then we, as believers, are revived. We go out and reform the world as agents and ministers of reconciliation. Are you guys tracking with me? So what we want at the, at the end is reformation. But before that comes revival. Believers have an encounter with God that actually transforms them more into the image of Christ Jesus. Uh, they go out into a hurting and dying world and, and, and affect it. And, 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 you know, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers. They do all the stuff Jesus told us to do, okay? So we got reformation. We got revival. I believe revival is the byproduct of the presence of God. When you have an encounter with the Shekinah glory, the manifest presence of God, like we had here tonight, uh, if you allow it to, it's not going when to, you, when you really encounter the presence, you still have an opportunity to let that change the way you live, or you just become one of those Jesus junkies just going from high to high, and like, man, you have this radical encounter, and then your life sucks. Then you can't, I can't wait to go back to the next church service or the next conference to get that, 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 that next injection shot that makes me feel good just so I can get to the next encounter. But when, you're, when you really allow the presence of God to transform you, Right then, you get into that place of like I've been revived. I'm now awake, awakened, and you go out and transform the world. All right, but from the presence is the byproduct of worship. Right, Psalm twenty-two, three, my life verse. It says, "Yet you are holy; you are enthroned upon the praises of your people." In that word, 
enthroned is the Hebrew word yeshab. Yeshab, and then the, the word praise there, Sam teaches this, uh, so most of you probably already know it, is the Hebrew word tahila. Bad joke time. Not tequila, but the results are often similar. Um, <laughs> one's, one's, a, uh, one's a song of the spirit, one's just a spirit. And you credit that to Ray Hughes. He's a, he coined that one. Uh, but the, God, the Lord, the Holy One, the one who is set apart that's completely different than anyone else, the scriptures tell us that he is yeshabed or enthroned or abides or resides or dwells in or marries to the tahila of his people, the, the, the genuine, authentic uh, affections declared uh, in, in worship, in praise and worship. Okay? Uh, I'm going to camp here for just a little bit because I, I just, I'm a worshiper and I'm a worship leader. And, and can I just encourage you with something? Um, I believe every believer is a worshiper, a worship leader. I believe every believer is a worship leader. Now, I have the title and the position, um, and I kind of carry, uh, I, I operate in the office of a worship leader within the, the church. But the reality is if you, if you break it down and try to def define what that role is, it's every believer. Because every believer is called to worship Jesus. Right? Every believer is called to worship him. And every believer is called to have influence in people's lives. Influence is just another way to define leadership. So you're supposed to take your, your influence and help people connect with Jesus. Right? Can I define... I'll just give you a simple definition for the way I kind of help my students uh, understand worship and leadership. So worship, and this is going to ultimately get us to where we where we start. Actually, let me do that first. I'm a little scattered, guys. Um, we when we worship God, according to Psalms 22:3, right? He he moves into our praise. Right? So then we experience the presence. Heaven invades earth as a byproduct of worship. Right? From that place of worship, we're renewed and transformed. And then we, as renewed and transformed uh, people, go out and renew and transform and reform the earth. You guys tracking the, the, the journey here? Okay. Worship, if I could define it simply for you, is the byproduct of beholding. Worship is the response to what you behold. So for me, and this has kind of been the, the, this has been, again, just confirmed all night tonight, is that if we truly want reformation, and if we trace the trail, where does it lead? I really believe it starts with beholding. I believe it starts with just seeing him. Because when you, when you see Jesus... You see him for who he truly is. Listen, you, you will not be able to not worship. You'll respond. Hopefully you'll respond rightly. You'll see him and you'll be like, wow, you're amazing. What is that worship? And God's like, oh, you think I'm amazing. That's awesome. I love drawing near to people that tell me that. <laughs> and then, then, you, then, you, then you're like, whoa, now I'm in the presence. And then you get rewired. And then you're like, this feels awesome. I want more people to feel like this. And I go on and, 
and I touch a hurting and dying world, and I help them to see. So one of the, again, just kind of talking about worship and beholding. So worship is, is the response to what you behold. So imagine Sam and I were out in the parking lot here, and uh, we're just sitting and hanging out like boys do, you know, kicking it. Uh, what's the song? We're Island Boys. We're just, we're just hanging out, just chilling. And, uh, and we're just sitting there, and I, and I see, uh, see uh, kind of drive by a, a cherry red Ferrari, you know, just something really cool. You can insert your favorite vehicle. Um, and I, I see the car, and I'm like, oh, man, that's a really cool car, right? What was that but a microcosm of what worship really is? I saw something, determined it had value, and then made a declaration of its worth. Oh, man, that car is really cool. That's worship. We see God, determine that he has infinite value and limitless, and then we make a declaration of his limitless worth. Right? That's what worship is. And then what leadership is, is when I grab Sam by the collar and be like, bro, check out that car. That's worship leadership. I say, hey, look at the thing that fascinated me. Do you, don't you agree how cool it is? And he's like, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> and then the driver of the car stops and be like, oh, you think this car's cool? Hey, why don't you get inside? Let's take it for a spin. That's Jesus, of course. He's driving the Ferrari. <laughs> and he says, here's the key, Sam. Take, her for, take the kingdom for a spin. Show. Yeah, I love it. But it started with beholding, right? You guys seeing this? Get it? Hey, seeing it? Beholding, come on. Where's the drummer when you need him to do that? Courtesy. Uh, we say this in our community all the time, that worship comes from the heart, but it starts in the eyes. Worship comes from the heart, but it starts in the eyes. Yeah. Because worship is the response to what you behold. We sung a little bit about it tonight, and again, just another, not a confirmation to me as much as it is a confirmation to you guys that you're already doing it, and I'm probably telling you guys things that you, if you don't know, now you do, that you're, you're just, you're so far ahead of the game, guys. It's so beautiful. Um, but Jesus in Matthew 6, you know, he, he tells us in, in, the Lord's prayer, in the Lord's prayer, our Father who art in heaven... You know, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. <clears throat> and I love this verse, obviously, uh, when you have the master teaching you, um, you know, how to commune with God, it's very important. And, you know, in, in our revival kingdom kind of culture that the Lord's been stirring up all over the earth, you know, there's been a lot of teaching that's come out of this verse. Verse, I said that with the lisp, sorry. Um, <clears throat> a lot of it's been taught within, within the context of like healing and freedom and deliverance. Like there's no cancer in heaven. There's no cancer on earth. There's no anxiety in heaven. There's no anxiety on earth, right? And we should always, and listen, I'm not, I, I'm for that. We contend that way. I think it's, we're, we're enforcing God's reality, right? But I want us to think about that verse in the context of worship, right? So, okay, if Jesus is telling me that where I live needs to be synonymous to where he's from, then it 
leads me to a question like, well, what's going on up there? What are they doing? Huh. If he wants me to do down here what they're doing up there, then maybe I should start investigating what that's, what's going on. Right? I get there's no cancer there. I get there's no anxiety there. But what are they doing up there that I'm not doing down here? When you get into Revelation chapter 4 and 5, you get this really cool account. You know, the Apostle John gets a glimpse into what's going on up there. And he sees these beings <clears throat> called the four living creatures. Go back. How many of you uh, have read the book of Revelation? All right. If you are a believer, a committed follower of Jesus Christ, uh, I encourage you, read that book. Read it. Stop putting it off. Stop saying the thing like, well, it's scary. Really, because then all that tells me is that you've been discipled more by Hollywood than you have than, 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 the, than the church, right? Or, or than Jesus. Because listen, the Bible, or the, the book of Revelation starts off with like, this is, this is a, an account of Jesus Christ. It's like basically the fifth gospel. You get a blessing for just reading it, right? And let it interpret itself, okay? How about you just read it before you, you know, dis, disregard it? Uh, anyway, uh, we make all of our students read it, and then we don't always answer their questions. <laughs> They're like, well, what about this, and what's the, this of Babylon? We're like, uh, what do you think? You know, that's a great teacher move. Interesting. Like, you pretend like you know, but you're like, and then they respond, and you're like, dang, that's a really good answer. <laughs> so now you know the, some of the secrets behind Kingdom Living's teaching style. They're like, oh, yeah, that student, that's really good. That's better than what I had. I'm going to teach that. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So when you, when you, when you kind of, in the book of Revelation, you get kind of a pull back the veil a little bit between heaven and earth, and John gets to see what's going on up there. Uh, he sees these four beings called the four living creatures, and they have six wings, uh, four faces, a face of a, a man, uh, an eagle, an ox, and a lion. And the Bible describes, uh, describes them as having eyes on the outside of them and on, on the inside of them. So they're covered in eyes, inside and out. So it's really creepy if they were going to eat like a burger. Like they see it coming and going. That's just, that's bizarre. Uh, they never, it, it doesn't say there in the book of Revelation that they eat burgers. Um, that's why you have to read it because if I could have told you that they ate burgers. And if you don't know the, the text, then you'd have believed me and you would have been believing a false theology. Um, Anyway, guys. So anyway, so you got these beings, and it says, uh, you know, day and night, night and day, they're flapping around the throne of God, and they're making this declaration, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And for the longest time, <clears throat> I thought, oh, man, these beings were created to worship. You know, they're created to worship. And it's only been more recently that I've, I began to kind of rethink that. It's like, well, maybe they weren't created to worship. Maybe they were created to see. Hence, the faces and eyes. Is that they're using their wings and their faces and eyes to get an unobstructed 360, you know, panoramic view of the most brilliant thing ever. Jesus, the majesty and beauty of Jesus. And then imagine that, if you will, like with every blink, with all of their faces, with all of their eyes, having unlimited 
perspective and vantage points to gaze upon the beauty of Jesus. And then every time they open up all of their eyes, or one of their eyes, they see something new that fascinates them. And they respond in worship. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is. And I bet he's going to do it again. Blink, watch, look. Oh, he did it again. Blink. Oh, he's still good. Blink. Man, he's blowing my mind. Blink. What? You, you, you get what I'm saying? Like, like the, the atmosphere is ripe with worship, but it's, be, but it's because it's the byproduct of every eye is on Jesus. They're looking at him. They're seeing him unveiled. They're seeing him in his full glory and majesty and power and splendor. And they're, they're, their circuits are just being overloaded. And they just can't help but say, holy, right? Different, other. I, I like to say sometimes, like, that was even better than the last time, but just as good. You know? And so they're constantly being fascinated. It's another little thing I like to jab at worship leaders. So if you're a worship leader in the room or, or one of those people that's like, why do, we, uh, why do we sing the same song over and over again? We sing the same lyric. Don't you guys want to move on to the next song? <laughs> and I like to think this. I normally don't say it. I'm a lot more diplomatic. Um, but I, we would say this in our community. If you don't like long worship services, you're not really going to like heaven. Um, <clears throat> and that if... If you, if, if you get bored singing the same thing about God over and over again, then you probably became familiar with what used to fascinate you. <clears throat> I mean, like, man, why do we keep singing about the faithfulness of God? Well, dude, like, you probably just became familiar with it, and now, it, like, that's where, that's how you get into adultery, guys. You realize that? Like, idolatry and adultery are basically the same thing, right? Let me, let me kind of paint a picture here so like you're in love you're married you're, you get married and then you know like oh i love you forever baby yeah it's just me and you i'm never gonna not be faithful to you uh and then you know you just you can become familiar in, in the sense where it's like you, you your eye starts to wander right you used to be fascinated with this girl she used to be your everything and that's the only thing that you had in your vision and then you got comfortable you got comfortable. You started kind of like, you know, putting on weight and getting sloppier, whatever. I, you know, just using marriage as an analogy for this relationship we have with God. And then, and then, you know, you start, she's kind of cute, you know. And then what, the, the adultery, it's just like worship, it starts in the eyes, right? The adult, all adultery is is worship of the wrong thing, right? But you were led astray by your eye. Right? And then, and then you're like, well, I'm getting bored with this. So I have to challenge myself when I get bored in worship services. Did I just stop believing the truth we're declaring? And maybe I need to get a refresh on that. It's like, Lord, help me. Help me understand that. Help me see that again. Help me, help me see you again in that because I don't ever want to become familiar with something that used to fascinate me. And so these living creatures are constantly fascinated with, with Jesus. And, and they're making this declaration, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is, and, to come, and is to come. And so the atmosphere of heaven is worship, but it's the byproduct of beholding. And so, again, when, I, when we're looking at Matthew 6 and Jesus says, on earth as it is in heaven, I start thinking, well, what do I got to do down here that they're doing up there? What if I, and, and this is why I love King David. It's why we have a school devoted to kind of like, 
investigating his life as a type and shadow of the Mashiach, the Messiah, Jesus, who was prophet, priest, and king, right? All, we, don't, we don't elevate David above Jesus. Just know that. Jesus is the big dog. He's the man. Uh, but David was a model of what we get to live in fully now. You realize David got to pull into his present a post-cross reality? That he literally got to be in the presence of God when he wasn't a Levite? Right? That he was an adulterer and a murderer? You couldn't even have sin in your life. And you could only enter into the presence of God once a year. You had to be the high priest. David violated all of those rules because of his love relationship with the Father. He, because of his heart, gave him access to something that wouldn't be available to the human race until after Jesus died and split the veil and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so, but David, in, in, in his Psalm, uh, in Psalm 27, verse 4, he says, this one, this one thing I desire, this one thing I seek is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to not evangelize, not teach, not prophesy. We need all those things. We absolutely need them. But David said, I would say David, the chief desire of David's heart is says, I, I want to gaze upon the beauty of holiness. And I would believe if David was alive today, he says the fuel to do all those other things, evangelize, minister, you know, prophesy, uh, preach, he says it, it comes from the place of just gazing upon his beauty. He says one thing I desire, this one thing I see is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to inquire in his temple. It, it, it's becoming more and more, I think, even more than just learning new songs, writing new songs. I mean, I love all that. I love our creatives and our artists. Um, but I just, I got to see him, honestly, more than, more than learn more things about him, uh, do more things for him. I, I just want to see him. I want to see him and I want to hear him. It's, been, it's like David said, it's, it's, it's the one thing I desire. It's the one thing I'm seeking after. Right and listen, you gotta understand that this is so, this is so crucial, because Jesus Himself, in John chapter five, He says, "I only do." What does He do? Signs, wonders, miracles, teaching, healing, breakthrough, you know, deliverance, all of that. He says, "Everything I you see me do in the Gospels is the byproduct of what I see the Father doing." Because I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. Right? And I, I want to see signs, wonders, and miracles. I want those to, to be evident in my life because I'm a follower of Jesus in right relationship with him. But not at the expense of beholding him. I want to see him first. I want to see him. Listen, I believe too, if you see God, worship takes care of itself. You know? You're going to worship, you're going to encounter his presence, you're going to get transformed, uh, and then you're going to go out and transform the spheres of influence um, that the Lord puts you in. But we got to see him. And I'm, I'm going to kind of land with this. Um, I know that we're, we've already gone pretty long. And so I, but, I, but I do appreciate you guys indulging me and, and letting me share a little bit about my life and my journey. Um, but if we're talking about Beholding being the catalyst to, that leads to worship, which leads to encountering the presence, which leads us to becoming revived and then us going out and reforming the earth. 
then it begs the question, then, how do you see God? Right? If that's what ultimately we're talking about is to behold him and the power of beholding and seeing him, then, then how do we see God? Good question, John David. Let me try to answer that for you. Uh, I think first and foremost is this guy right here, the Bible. Listen, I say this to worship, mostly worship leaders all the time, but what John, and we say it in our community, uh, what John 3.16 is to, is to salvation, Colossians 3.16 is to worship, that the word of God dwell in you richly so that you can admonish each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You got to have the word of God, right? If, one way, to, the, 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 I would say probably the best way to see God is through the scriptures, right? Because in, um, in John 1, right, we know that the word became flesh. You want to see Jesus. He is the word manifest. You get into this, you're going to see him. Amen? Right on. All right, another way you can see God is through prayer and communion, right? Psalm 27, verse 4 says, uh, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. So even in the conversation with God, there's, there's an opportunity to be invited into getting to know him, discover him, and see him. Uh, we know that we can see God through creation. Man, my story's a testament to that, right? And he, he, we see it in Psalm 8, and, and you know, when the, the psalmist says, you know, when I look at the, the stars and the heavenly host, who is man that you are even mindful of, and the son of man that you care for him? Or Romans says that in, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 20, says that God's invisible attributes are on display, so that man are with, is without excuse. So you could see God in creation. Um, and then this one's just simple. Like, if you lost your keys, what's the first thing? And, and, and you can't find them, uh, and you can't see them. What's the first thing you do? Huh? You look. <gasps> I can't see God. Have you looked for him? Have, have you just stopped and, like, pursued him? <laughs> Uh, Matthew 7, 7, ask, and it'll be given, seek, and you'll find, knock, and the door will be open. Right? You know, some, I, 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 um, there's this uh, proverb, I believe it, it says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. And, um, you know, I know uh, our friend Bill Johnson would always say, you know, God doesn't hide things from you. He hides things for you. And, uh, but here's the thing is sometimes I think God's the one who conceals himself. Like, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of kings to search it out. And I think God kind of shrouds himself uh, from time to time so that we can be like, God, where are you? But here's the thing I love about the scripture that um, I always want to point out is that it says it's the glory of God to conceal something. And even if that something is himself, he's shrouded himself in mystery. Um, but he says it's the glory of kings to search it out. So whenever you feel like you can't see God, Really, there's an, there's an invitation into an upgrade in your royal persona. He says, hey, I've hidden myself, and only kings will search me out. So if I'm hiding myself, it's really me telling you you're ready to, to, un to be upgraded in the level of, of your, your kingship or your queenship in my kingdom. Right? So don't, like, wimp out. You're like, I can't see God. It's like, dude, he, there's, like, there's royalty on the other side of that pursuit. Okay. And I'm gonna, uh, this is kind of where I, I'm going to try to land this ship. <clears throat> ship? Land a plane. Sink a ship. <laughs> this is where I'm going to squat this dog. <laughs> Guys, I'm getting hungry. That's why it's getting really weird. 
<laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, if I can submit to you, probably, I would say one of the, ab ab not abandoned, but like least utilized ways in seeing God uh, that we need to take up again. Um, even though I believe that the word is probably the most powerful. You realize, though, that like this is like new, relatively, like historically. Like you have a privilege that like 98% of human history did not have. The access to the scriptures. Like, please don't take that for granted. Take full advantage of getting into this like every day. Like sometimes just don't even read it. Just lay back and just let, lay it on your face <laughs> and just go fall asleep with it. Like, it just even if that, just let it, maybe it'll just soak in by osmosis. Um, <laughs> so even though I believe the word is probably the most powerful, uh, I think one of the ones that is uh, one that I feel like the Lord is, is awakening in the believers uh, is remembering. Is the power of the testimony. Revelation 19.10 says that it's the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy that... You know, we talk a lot about the prophetic in our, in our uh, you know, culture, charismatic culture, spirit-filled culture. Um, and we often, you know, uh, understand it and see it from like a, a forth-telling kind of being able to see into the heart of God on behalf of a, of a person or an event. Um, or kind of get like a download, a revelation like in the moment. And obviously we see that a lot in, in worship. You know, our, even our worship team here tonight did a fantastic job of not just singing the songs and and and. and and produce and you know leading us in them in the way that you know that they have rep, uh, practiced them, but being available to the Holy Spirit in the moment to prophetically sing out even something fresh and new. But <clears throat> I believe that the essence of the prophetic has more to do with your history than it does the, the present or the future. The prophecy is actually more about remembering who God has been than it is about you know what's coming up ahead. It literally says that the, the, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The essence of the prophetic is more rooted in the past. The already finished and accomplished work of Jesus in your life. Right? And so here's what I, I would, uh, you know, I teach, when I teach on this, uh, I say, you know, when, because you know this, right? And there's sometimes where circumstances and situations are, are just so like in your face in the present moment that you really, they're just, it, 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 it consumes or encompasses all of your vision. And you're like, I can't see God because this thing that's going on and right now is just like, ah, right? Or you're in a place where like, God, I, the future just, you're so shrouded. It's so cloudy. I can't really see what you're doing. I can't make it out what's going on. In my future, I can, I'm just, you know, but it, I tell this all the time. If you can't see God in your present and you can't see God in the mystery, there's always a position you can look to see God, and that's in your history. When you look back, if you ever want to see God, and you can't see him in your present, like, I don't know what you're doing right now, or you can't see him in the future, God, what are you going to do? I don't know. There's always a direction you can look to see him, and that's your past. Your history, his faithfulness and goodness. I've seen him, right? I've seen him do this. And because he's the same yesterday, I can prophetically declare that he'll be the same today and that he'll be the same tomorrow. Right? So that's why the, the power of remembering, like creating memorial stones or Ebenezer's or journaling or just reminding yourself of who he's been is going gonna, is gonna, is gonna to unlock 
and, and lead us to reformation, I believe. Let me say it this way, too. Just, uh, when, because we study the life of David, and uh, you read through First uh, and Second Kings and Chronicles and Samuel, and, and you look at all of the nations of, 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 uh, of Israel and, and Judah, and whenever they would fall out of into into calamity it was often because they forgot they forgot right and any time in the scriptures like out of like i don't know how many 13 accounts of generations and kings that they talk about i think it was like maybe a handful like four to six times that they have actually experienced revival in the nation it usually is traced back to something like this and they remembered the ways of their father david they tore down the altars. They, they got rid of the idols. They purified the priesthood again. They remembered the faithfulness of their God. They, they, right when you remember, you like, just close your eyes for a second. And I, and I don't want to stir up anything traumatizing. But like, this last September was the anniversary of when my mom passed away. And every day beyond that moment this year, I'll have lived more of my life without her than I did with her. But when I close my eyes to someone, because my mom's not presently here. She's dead. And I will never, and I can't see my mom tomorrow. But if I close my eyes and I remember, I could see her. I could see her face. And for you, someone's coming up to your imagination right, right now. Someone that you lost, that you loved. That's gone, that's gone home. That's gone to be with Jesus. And you can't see their face today. And you can't see their face tomorrow. But when you look back over your, in your memories, in your, in your history, you see them. You see them. And you remember those good times. And it's the same. Go ahead and open your eyes. And it's the same way with the Lord, guys. When we stop and we just take inventory of our lives and I say, God, you've been good. God, you've given me eight free cars. True story. I've never bought a car, never made a car payment. Yeah, who needs that? Who wants? Listen. Not just like, hey, I want a new car. Like, no, like, I, like I was like pushing the car. To, that's like the level of like, and then God always came through. Uh, I, I literally just released whatever grace the Lord's on my life. Shave it off. Who needs it? Uh, but when I, when, I, when I remember, when I think of his goodness and what he's done for me, right? When I remember his faithfulness, right? I begin to, I, you, can't, you can't rehearse the testimony for more than like two seconds of what God's done in your life, right? When you're looking at him, who he's been, right? When you're seeing him until that turns into gratitude. God, I thank you for, for eight free cars. You, you've provided so much for me. And then that turns into worship. But you're, you're not, you just don't provide. You are the provider. That's the nature of who you are. You're good God. And then, oh, what's that feeling? Oh, his presence is drawing near because he draws near to worship. Like, oh, I feel your presence, and then God starts to just tweak things in my heart and my life that need to be changed to make me look more like Jesus. And I get renewed and revived, and I'm like, oh, man, I just got to share this. I got to change the world with this stuff. You see how significant remembrance is. It's the power of the testimony. You got to remember. Because remembering is such, it's like, I think, one of those lost arts of beholding God, seeing him. You know, and Jesus says it himself. I just I say it again that, you know, everything that he did, he said, it's all the byproduct of what I see my father do. 
So if you would like to ask the Lord for an upgrade in your vision tonight, say, God, I want to I wanna just see you clearly. I recognize, hey, I have some broken lenses. I got, I got some schmutz. I got some scrapes and some, some, some scratches on my lens that I, I know, if I'm being honest, are distorting and perverting my perception of who you are. Or, or you just say, you know what? I've been looking through an iPhone screen, but God, I want to see through an iMac screen. I want to increase my vision. I want to increase my capacity to see you, God. And if you would resonate even with the scripture that says, God, open the eyes of my heart. Enlighten my eyes and my heart. Like, I really want to see you. I really want to see you. Like, I, not, not a counterfeit, not a, um, not a clone, uh, but a, a, a real presentation of who you are so that I can represent or represent what I see. Right? I, wanna, I want the real thing. If that's you tonight, and you would say, like, I just, God, I want that. I want to see you more. Because I see, <laughs> I see that when I see you, where it can lead. If that's you tonight, I just want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to invite Pastor Sam to come up. Well. Just close your eyes and maybe just lift your hands. I'm just going to sing this over us as a prophetic act. Just want to join in. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you, I want to see you, sing it again, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out and pour out your power in love as we sing holy, holy, holy. And we sing holy, holy. Like the living creatures in holy, holy, like the fathers of the faith of the past. Holy, 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 I want to see you. God, that is our cry tonight. It's the cry of Psalm 27, verse 4, King David. He says, this one thing I desire, this one thing I would seek is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of your holiness and to inquire in your temple. God, we recognize that if, if we can't see you, we're going to be led astray. Our eyes are going to wander. We want to see you. Lord, we want to remember your faithfulness, God. We want to remember your goodness. We want to archive the accounts 
of your victories and your triumphs in, in, in our lives, in our families' lives, in our friends' lives. We want to take every opportunity to celebrate you and what you have done because it's going to remind us of who you can be and who you will always forevermore be. The victor, the champion, the deliverer, the healer, the savior. Never lose sight. I never want to lose sight of that God. We bless you. And I pray that every believer in here would get a fresh revelation, a fresh perspective of the attribute and the, and the nature of who you are as a father, as a friend, as a deliverer, as a healer, as creator. God, reveal yourself. In your presence, would you present yourself and then would you, by your word of declaration over their lives, would you help them to re-present it? What they saw in the throne room, what they've seen in your eyes, what they heard from your mouth, and they would re-present it or represent it to a hurting and dying world. We could see this world transformed because you're not coming back for a weak and broken bride. You're coming back for a revived bride. And a revived bride looks like a dangerous bride to the kingdom of darkness. Looks like taking back territory that belongs to her beloved. We want to see you, God. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much, guys. Love y'all. Is that good? You guys feel filled up? You feel blessed? Okay, you can have a seat. We're, we're almost done, I promise. Um, I feel filled up and blessed. I feel like I just ate from a buffet. Um, I think this is the Lord, so I'm going to share it. In high school, our football team had to take a long road trip, and for some reason, uh, it was like a four-hour trip, so we had to stop and get food on the way there, and for some reason, they brought us to a buffet before a football game. Let me tell you, you bring 80 starving people to a buffet. That buffet got cleaned out, man. And that's what I feel like happened tonight. Like, you guys just ate from a buffet. There's, there's nothing left. Now it's yours. Behold, I'm going to have to write down that. All the way down to, what was the last one? Well, those are big words. We don't actually get big words like that. No, 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 I'm kidding. That's amazing. I love that. But that's what just happened. You got fed. You, you beheld what he was doing. And now I feel like we've talked about these in different ways and shapes and forms, but now it's like, it's real, it's concrete. And so you get to take this with you. Um, I feel blessed. You feel blessed. Let's make JD feel blessed tonight. So can I get the ushers, you guys come up? We're going to take a special love offering for JD. Um, because again, he came here on his own volition. He came here on his own dime. And it was just such a, a blessing for us to think like, wow, we get to unleash the fire hose on reunion while JD is here. And I, I really hope that the things that he said, these seeds were planted really deep. Can you put that um, up on the screen for me, please? Yeah, so if you have Venmo, you can get JD. So this is not your tithe. This is not your offering. This is a special love offering we're going to make just for JD tonight. Um, we're also going to pass around some buckets. Can I get some ushers and stuff come up to the front? And we're going to, in just a minute, we're going to pass those things around. But yeah, you can get, get prepared, get ready. And then I need Javante and Tita to come up here with me, please. 
Devante and Tita are um, my third years this year from BSSM. Yeah. And what we're gonna do while these buckets get passed around, if you have one penny, like throw it in there. If you have 20 million pennies, throw all those in there. Um, and if, if you think like, oh, I don't have Venmo, I don't have any cash on me, just get with uh, someone on our staff and we'll make sure that you guys, if you feel like the Lord's saying to bless JD, that he gets that money. But while those buckets are being passed around, you can start doing that. Um, I want uh, to just have a time of prophesying over JD, and I want uh, Javante and Tita to lead that off for us. And then can I get anybody on reunion staff, if you just want to kind of gather around JD, and we're going to bless what the Lord wants to say to him. For anyone who's doing his Venmo, the last four digits of his phone number is 2588. Yeah, so 2588 to make sure you don't pay a different John David Vasquez. John, dude, as I was watching you and praying over you and just um, asking the Lord about you, I, I saw a couple things. Uh, the first is that I saw you as a glue bottle. Yeah. You're, you stick, you have stuck to those who have led you, and you're sticking others to you to follow the way that you're going. And I feel like there's just a massive grace on your life for the stickiness that you have. Um, that there's just something about being the kind of believer who is willing to follow the leaders that God has put in their life. Um, and then to also be like, I'm not leaving anyone behind. Anybody who wants to come can come. And they just stick, stick, stick. Um, and I also just saw the redemptive story in your own life, like fifth grade music teacher, Catholic godparents, youth worship leader, promoted to the lead worship leader, promoted to being a student under Rick, um, then leading the school and then being handed the school. The bar for you was set so low and you were raised up because of your, willing to, your willingness to submit to those leaders in your life. And I see that just as you were fathered by many, you will father many. That by your obedience to him and your willingness to submit to the leaders he put in your way, he is giving you the very thing that you've been given. Just as Rick handed his school to you, you will hand other ministries that you fathered into success and abundance onto the next generation of those who have followed God in obedience and submission. Um, and so I just honor your, your willingness to be fathered, your willingness to be led, um, and your obedience to God, even when it was a little hit to the pride every now and then. Um, I just bless you that, man, the sky's the limit from don't get anybody knocked up and don't go to jail. The sky's the limit. There is no, there is no place you can't go and there's no place where you can't lead people. Um, that stickiness is going to follow you uh, as, long, as long as everyone is willing to follow it. So just bless you with that. Really love you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I just, I had a word down, but as I keep looking at you, I keep hearing family. I keep seeing family. And I feel like the Lord is going to use you to build a family. And um, like you're, 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 you're someone who gathers family. And it, it, the, I see like random people, like strangers, coming together, coming next to you, you know. And they're, they're meeting new people, you know. 
and they're discovering that they have one pursuit, and that's him. You know, they're, they're discovering that they have one desire, and as these people discover that they had the same desires, they realize, like, this is family. This is this is home. This is what I'm meant for, you know, and uh, we, I, I noticed um, someone here, I think it was Tori, who said revival starts with family, you know, and um, yeah, I just see you just bringing revival to, um, or leading others into revival as they just come to you and gather, you know? And so um, I just bless you with that. Um, I just bless the calling on your life. I don't even really think you realize the calling on your life. You know, I just like, I think you just said like, he's gonna father people, right, you know? And so, um, yeah, I just bless you with that in Jesus' name. Yeah, and uh, I had the same word actually. It had a lot to do with your story about the four living creatures where they weren't made to worship, they were made to see, but because of that, they worshiped. And I felt like it was the same thing that Javante said. Um, you're a father to many, and um, you weren't made to worship, you are made to father people. And one of the things that has happened is that your, your uh, gifting has served your anointing and it's come through worship. And it's been a, a, a long roundabout wavy path, I know that, um, but it's coming full circle, I felt like him say. So prepare your heart for coming full circle. And I think it's not coincidence that you're in Hawaii, you know, 30 years later, um, coming full circle. So Father, we bless what you're doing in JD. I sense your pleasure over him, your goodness over him, your mercy over him. And we just call out the heart of the lion that you've placed in him. Uh, there's Papa Lion over JD, so call out Papa Lion over you. Um, that, that more people hear your roar than you think they do. And that um, your roar, I just feel like your roar is, it has a bigger breath than what you think it does. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily come by volume. It, it comes by impact, and it comes through history, and it comes through influence. So, Father, bless what you're doing in JD. We, we love him and welcome him into this family. We, we bless what you're doing in his life. We say amen to your yes over him, the plans and the, the favor that you have over his life. We say increase it, increase it even now. And yeah, just give him the desires of his heart as he puts you first in his life. And we bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, join us Sundays at 5 live at Kahapu. Aloha.